Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. The tunnel to the base inside Cheyenne Mountain is iconic, but what goes on inside is top secret. It's been the subject of intrigue and popular culture for decades. You know, you have to mix between, you know, what you see on Stargate and, and what you see in the movies. But I tell you, it, it's pretty impressive. And while it was built in 1958, it's still probably the safest place in the world. That's because the base itself is a wonder of technology and engineering. When you walk through that tunnel to come here and understand the scope and breadth of the vision of, of people in the 1950s to create this complex and know the protection it affords, like I said, it's impressive. Cheyenne Mountain was bored out to create space to build an Air Force base inside of it. That means the base itself sits behind tons of solid granite. That's sufficient to sustain almost any blast, but as if that wasn't enough, there are also two 23-ton blast doors that can be closed in 45 seconds to completely seal off the base. If there's a nuclear bombing of the facility, the building sits on gigantic springs to protect all the people and sensitive equipment inside from the shock of the blast. The protection it affords, you know, it, it's, it's pretty amazing uh, what we do here. These days, NORAD monitors the air and seas around the world and in the United States from Peterson Air Force Base in the Springs. If there's increasing uh, tensions, with the state or uh, non-state actors. If there was ever a physical threat to Peterson Air Force Base, we would be here. Greetings, Hustronauts. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our structural engineer, Slick Frank Sanders. What is going on, Hushlings? Um... I am very well versed in structural engineering in case you weren't aware. I am like very <laughs> adept mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. structures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite structure? I don't know. The McDonald's sign itself is just a, a work of beauty. Oh, fantastic. I like spires. Spires are pretty cool. I'm trying to think of some spires. Well, you can aspire to be a spire. The United States began creating deep underground military bases in the 1950s during the Cold War era. This was driven by the need to shelter and protect the population in the event of a nuclear attack by the Soviet Union. The Eisenhower administration created a contingency plan for a 15-minute notice to evacuate and seek refuge in underground bunkers. The Mountain Weather Bunker, located in Virginia, was one of the first federal evacuation drills carried out in the summer of 1954. This was a top-secret facility built into a mountain and designed to provide a safe haven for high-level government officials in case of a national emergency. The United States has 131 underground military bases, also known as DUMS, across the country and over a thousand worldwide. These bases are located usually beneath mountains or in remote areas and are designed to withstand nuclear explosions and other catastrophic events. The facilities are equipped with state-of-the-art technology, including communication systems, medical facilities, and even hydroponic gardens for long-term survival. 
That's right, Hushlings. For this debriefing, we are talking about dumbs. But before we batten down the hatches and lock ourselves into a concrete vault, just want to remind you of all our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. As always, you can reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Our email, contact at hushhushsociety.com. And as always, check out the one-stop shop for the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. That is hushhushsociety.com. You can find all of our audio episodes. You can read into our guest profiles, read some blogs, buy some merchandise, write a review. You can do it all, and you can check out the direct link to our video portion. Yeah, and that link will take you straight over to Rockfin, the home for the video aspect of our podcast. That's right. You heard it. We actually have a platform where we haven't been censored and banned, and that is rockfin.com. There you can watch all of our video debriefings in 4K while listening to the show, get a little bit of visual aspect. Go check it out, rockfin.com slash hush hush society. Hit the subscribe button. You already know the deal. Thank you, guys. Guys, before we jump into this one, uh, I just wanted to talk about something that we just opened the show with. The very first federal evacuation by the Eisenhower administration to the Mount Weather Bunker. Now, the funny part about that evacuation was, is that when it happened, everybody who was on the list obviously made their way to the bunker. And the wives of those men, because obviously it was the 50s, mostly men, the wives of those men uh, were not allowed to come. So they were pretty salty because the men were all huddled together and safe at the end of the world. And they weren't. How does that carry through with procreation after the bombs drop? They don't care about that. It's about continuation of government, the continuity of government. You got to have little government people around, though, <laughs> in training, you know? I, I think I think in theory they were thinking, hey, let's just make sure that we have a government, and I'm sure women somewhere will be safe and we'll be able to find them afterwards. Also, keep in mind, this was like the inception of fallout shelters. Some of them you still see like signs for old banks and things like that, big buildings. Those are all in the basements. That was the inception of fallout shelters. Scary times. It seems like a shortcoming in preparation. I don't know. It's all your eggs in one basket right there. <laughs> well, you may be asking yourself about deep underground military bases and how they're built. Building dumbs requires advanced technology and expertise. The first and most critical step is excavation, which involves drilling through rock and soil layers. This is typically done using tunnel boring machines, or TBMs, which are massive drilling machines capable of creating tunnels of various diameters. TBMs are equipped with rotating cutting heads that grind through rock and soil and conveyor belts to transport the excavated material to the surface. I'm sure you guys have seen pictures of those big boring machines. Elon Musk's boring company. Mm. These projects also require specialized engineering expertise to ensure their structural integrity and safety. The facilities must be designed to withstand the extreme pressures and temperatures that exist deep underground, as well as potential seismic events. 
This requires the use of advanced materials such as high-grade strength concrete, steel reinforcements, and advanced geotechnical monitoring systems. Pretty sophisticated stuff. Yes, yes, very. And there's actually a patent out there, and a lot of people are thinking that it doesn't exist, but there is a patent for it, for a nuclear-powered tunnel drilling machine that essentially turns the rock into molten magma liquid rock as it moves forward which is why in a lot of these uh these tunnels that you see maybe on social media or whatever pictures that you see a lot of the tunnels the sides of them look very smooth that is supposedly caused by nuclear powered tunnel boring machines interesting that's like the technology of the gods. Mm. So with all that being said, there are ways for them to create concrete structures underground that are resistant to seismic events like earthquakes and whatnot. We will get into how they built these things and how they also kept those seismic events in mind building them. All right. Well, no, I was just curious because I was having a discussion about nuclear energy and that whole subject with a buddy of mine maybe two weeks ago. And I was explaining how they could take the waste and bury it deep underground, thickly encased in concrete. And they said, well, what about earthquakes? And I was like, all right, good point. Good point. I didn't know there was a way that they could like prevent that sort of cracking and rupturing of the concrete down there. Well, you may be asking, guys, where are these underground bases? Do we know the names of them? The first one is probably one of the most famous of the known deep underground military bases, and that is Cheyenne Mountain. It's also known as America's Fortress, and it's a military installation, of course, located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The mountain is situated 15 miles away from Peterson Air Force Base as well. Its construction began in June of 1961 with the goal of creating a facility to monitor nuclear attacks and later space debris. Hmm. Were they precursor of space warfare, you think? It's very possible, considering, as we'll get into, who was in charge of that base. He covered all the dumbs. He covered all the bases, everybody. I'm excited. Well, the base was completed and operational on 4-20-1966. And if it were built today, the total cost would have been around $18 billion. Wow, that's like half of what we give in Ukraine. Nice, nice. Distasteful, I know. I had to. (laughs) No, it's good. Cheyenne Mountain was built 2,000 feet below the mountaintop to ensure the facility was safe from nuclear attacks. To keep the mountain stable, engineers use rock bolts measuring between 6 and 30 feet in length. Now, if you guys don't know what rock bolts are, just imagine those sheetrock anchors that you put into sheetrock. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get the little piece of plastic, the screw goes into the plastic, and it expands the plastic and kind of keeps it. That's pretty much what a rock bolt is. It goes in, and then it expands inside the rock and keeps the surrounding rock stable. Very interesting stuff. And these things are pretty thick. Like they're, you know, two and three inches in diameter. It's a big bolt. The base consists of 15 
independent steel frame buildings, each built on hundreds of massive four-foot-tall steel springs. This design helps to absorb shock waves in the event of an attack and also seismic activity, as Frank was asking about. The facility was originally built for the North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD, and remained NORAD Central Command until 2006. Today, the base contains over a dozen government DoD divisions and is still a critical military installation. To get into the base, visitors must travel through a two-mile tunnel that leads to two huge blast doors, each weighing 25 tons. Currently, the base has around 300 to 400 workers, and it includes a various amount of amenities such as gyms, cafes, there's a post office, and a small little corner shop, little bodega in Cheyenne Mountain. Go get your Lucy's and your chopped cheese the hockey way. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned bodegas because that's almost exactly what it looks like. Uh, I was watching some video and saw some pictures and it looks like you're walking into a convenience store, like a 7-Eleven or something. You know, they got the chip racks and all that other stuff, magazine racks. I saw a documentary about this a while ago, but my question is, if NORAD stopped using it for NORAD as the actual facility for them in 2006, that must mean they have built something better since. We had mentioned that there's 131 bases in the United States. Keep in mind, that is 131 bases that are known, that are on the books that people know about. Now, the estimate is that every year there are two more bases built you can imagine that that number just continues to grow and the list of known ones stays the same. <laughs> hmm. And Cheyenne Mountain is actually pretty accessible as far as the public goes. You know, it's not like anybody can walk in there, but they've had TV crews in there and there's been multiple videos of people doing deliveries and they're like, hey, I'm at Cheyenne Mountain. The facility is equipped with a 3400 uninterrupted power system battery backup and a 500,000 gallon diesel storage facility for six massive generators, each the size of a dump truck. This infrastructure ensures that the base has a reliable source of backup power if the main power source fails. Additionally, there is a system providing one and a half million gallons of drinking water, including a 20 foot deep water reservoir thought of it all except for bringing bringing the ladies in <laughs> they didn't think about that the underwater reservoir is actually pretty interesting because they kind of built it naturally i mean obviously they filled it with water but it's in the rock it's not like in its own structure and the one and a half million gallons of water is just for drinking water that's not including brown water or wastewater and those generators are massive. I mean, they're massive. They're very, very big. And the regular power actually runs off of Colorado Springs power grid. So realistically, looking at Cheyenne Mountain, this is sort of like the top of the Dumbs iceberg, right? If we're going to have sort of like layers to this thing, this is sitting up there at the top. This is like some common knowledge stuff. As it seems 
from our view as of right now, there's nothing like super ominous going on at Cheyenne Mountain. It's just sort of like base plate conspiracy. You know, you, you get in there in, in case of emergency. Yeah. It's a military yeah. installment. Yeah. And it was definitely an engineering feat. Again, looking into it, it took them a while to build. They ran into a lot of building issues with the rock bolts obviously helped, but they couldn't use explosions to get any of the excavation done. So they had to do a lot of drilling. They had to do a lot of jackhammering, a lot of like manual taking out of the rock because any explosion would cause cracks within the dome and it would essentially just loosen and weaken the structure of the dome. Then they put the rock bolts in. Then they had to build an arched, kind of an arch structure out of steel that they put into the middle of the base that is actually holding up a lot of the pressure from the mountain from the center down. It's wild stuff, wild stuff. And keep in mind, this happened back in the 50s. So this next complex, people would say, is the replacement for Cheyenne Mountain, the more important continuity of government location. Raven Rock Mountain Complex, also known as Site R, is a massive underground military installation located near Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, close to the border of Maryland. The facility is situated approximately six miles northeast of the presidential retreat at Camp David. The facility is carved into the mountainside, and at its deepest point, it reaches a depth of 768 feet. This complex was built during the early days of the Cold War in the late 1940s and early 1950s and was designed to serve as a secondary command center for the United States government in the event of a nuclear war. The facility can house up to 5,000 people and is equipped with two massive blast doors similar to Cheyenne Mountain, each weighing 30 tons, which are opened hydraulically. The complex consists of five buildings that are designed like the sides of the Pentagon, with three floors and approximately 80 offices per building. Hope they didn't make it like the Pentagon. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking plane will get in there real easy. <laughs> Definitely Jeez. a missile. Jeez. Raven Rock is also built on top of massive springs, just like Cyan Mountain, that act as shock absorbers in the event of a nuclear blast. Additionally, the facility has a cafeteria that can feed up to 3,000 people for 30 days, and massive water reservoirs that ensure the facility can survive for an extended period without external support. I think the government's just build, been building the world's largest bounce houses and they don't want anybody to know. <laughs> <laughs> the size of the springs that they built, you know, these buildings on top of, they're four feet because that's as big as they could make them at the time. Otherwise, they probably would have made them bigger. That sounds ridiculous. They're four feet fully extended and then they are compressed something like an additional 10 or 11 inches when the weight of the buildings are on top of them. And if you see it underneath, it's very interesting. It's just the perimeter of the buildings. So it's not like in the middle of the structures. It's just under all the support beams of the actual buildings. So it has a good wobble. It's pretty cool. They do that at the bottom of uh, skyscrapers now. I think the New World Trade Center was built on springs. 
so it could sway in the wind and impact. And a lot of people don't know that New York City could could get some earthquakes at some point in the yeah. future. It is a tecton old tectonic zone. The complex is also equipped with advanced communication systems, allowing for uninterrupted communication with other governments and other military facilities. Communication lines are run from deep inside the complex to radar and antenna systems in the mountain range itself. Raven Rock is, of course, absolutely decked out with living quarters, recreational facilities, and a hospital. It also boasts a presidential suite designed to be used by the President of the United States in an event of a national emergency. And let us not forget the War Room that is an absolute replica of the Pentagon's War Room, which would serve as the command center in the event of this alleged nuclear war. What if it's just like a like a prison cell block, like bunk beds, like open cell block, and then you get a pool table and maybe a ping pong table and then an old CR television with a VCR because they haven't updated it. I saw, I think that was the one that I saw from 2006. It might have been Cheyenne Mountain, but it just looked like, yeah, we have all the stuff for everybody, but it looks like a prison. It's, uh, that's not far off from what a lot of these look like inside. Mm. It's a lot of steel frame bunk beds, <laughs> realistically, and just like long rows inside of concrete rooms. So what's weird is I, I noticed there's a lot more images of the interior of Cheyenne Mountain than there is of Raven Rock. And even when you look up the interior of Raven Rock, you're getting a lot of Cheyenne Mountain images. So for some reason, there's just like not as much accessible imagery of the inside of this place. Yeah, because Raven Rock, it's more secure, and it's actually still part of the continuity of government plan. So in the event of something happening in Washington, D.C., or the surrounding area where Congress would be, or politicians or people of the government, Raven Rock is where they currently are set to go. So that's why it's a little more secretive for that, uh, just to, to keep the security on lock there. That's where they moved to. Russia can't be seeing where Chuck Schumer will be laying his head at night. <laughs> In his steel frame bunk bed with Pelosi underneath. I call top bunk. <laughs> you see Pelosi just walking in her high heels. Dang. <laughs> They're probably all jazzed about it. They were there when it was built back in the 50s. Or are they in their 40s back then, you know? <laughs> this is where i'm gonna sleep when i'm 105 <laughs> the secrecy surrounding the raven rock mountain compound has always been tight and access to the facility is highly restricted visitors must go through several levels of security clearance and even then they are not allowed to take pictures or bring any electronic devices into the facility so that answers your question frank Raven Rock's location in a remote mountainous area, combined with the strict security measures, makes it one of the most secure and secretive places in the United States. The public was alerted to the existence of Raven Rock in only 2017, when author and investigative reporter Garrett Graff came across it by accident. Graff was writing about national security for the Washington Post when he came across a federal ID with a map and written directions to an unknown location on the back. How irresponsible of that person to lose that. <laughs> 
After following the directions, Graf found his way to the facility. He later ended up writing a book about Raven Rock and the government's plan for continuity after a disaster. That's probably where Norad went. Mm-hmm. Garrett Graf, I saw him in a few interviews when he talks about continuity of government and Raven Rock, and he is not a fan. I guess uh, he really dove deep into how the continuity of government goes when it's regarding the population versus the government versus, you know, politicians and elite. And the way that he puts it is essentially all the politicians and Congress and president and government officials, they all get to survive while the rest of us just burn alive just die. <laughs> when Russia reintroduces us to the sun. Well, looking at it rationally from my perspective, that's kind of backwards. It's like, okay, the people, if not responsible, the people that could have prevented some sort of catastrophic event from happening get to survive through it even though it may or may not be their fault again i'm not going to put blame on politicians and whatnot for a possible nuclear fallout but through congress and government and elected officials they have the power to prevent those sort of things through political shit right it doesn't seem to to fit the continuation of a government that failed the population. That just doesn't make sense. To add to it, there may be a lottery system that we don't know about when it comes to people who are, I guess, like lower tier from the government where you're thinking like doctors, scientists, other people that might not be, they might be non-military. They might be civilian uh, professions and of an expertise like plumbers and, you know, electricians and other things like that. Like you see in all these disaster movies, what's the one, was it 2012 where they built the giant dick spaceships, the arcs. And it's like, there was a whole lottery system where people either can buy into it. Like I guarantee you, Tom Cruise has a spot in some other bunker that we don't know about. Yeah. So <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Tom Cruise in researching dumbs, you come across super elite bunkers or bunkers of the rich. And those bunkers are absolutely insane. Tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. They are built to withstand blasts within like a mile radius. Now, keep in mind, it sounds like places like Cheyenne Mountain and Raven Rock would be impenetrable. Oh, they can take a blast. Realistically, they are safe up to a three mile distance. So if a blast takes place outside of a three-mile distance, then it's good. You're, they're fine. But any closer, if let's say they were within a mile or a mile and a half or something, and the blast went off, the mountain itself would most likely collapse and or the structure inside would, would collapse. It's not built to be completely impenetrable and it's maybe not as safe as you would possibly think, but it is safer than being in the basement of an old library built in the fifties and just being incinerated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> Tom Cruise's bunkers attached to his helipad. Hey, make snap decisions in or out. You know, I will tell you this right now. If you live in the LA area 
and you know where certain A-listers live, in the event of an emergency, go to their house. Got to bring cookies or lasagna or something. Because I will guarantee that at least 90% of them have massive underground bunkers in case of emergency. At least from what I've seen. We're just ants. We're ant people. <laughs> Next up, we have Dulce. Of course, we weren't, we weren't going to forget Dulce. It's, it's a key player here. The Dulce base is in Dulce, New Mexico. Now, Dulce isn't exactly a town. It's more so described as a census-designated place, as it's in the middle of the desert with a small population of about 3,000 residents, mostly residents of the Gicarilla Apache Reservation. Between the rumors of an underground alien base, cattle mutilations in the area, and sightings of UFOs in the skies, Dulce has become a hotbed of activity for ufologists and theorists alike. Stories started to come to light in the 1970s when Gabriel Valdez, a New Mexico state trooper, reported dozens of cattle mutilations. In one instance of investigating a cow mutilation, he uncovered a dead fetus inside of the animal. Like a baby? Mm. A goddamn baby inside so the cow? So they mutilated it, and then they were like, oh, shit. There's a baby there. We don't want that slop that's inside. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Although it wasn't just an unborn calf, Valdez claims that it was some sort of hybrid. Mm. That looked like a human, a monkey, and a frog. (laughs) Very, very good. Valdez suspected the government to be involved in some way due to the debris left behind at the scene. They left tinfoil, just like in Roswell, right? So It's quoted as saying, The evidence that was left there, you know, predators don't leave gas masks and glow sticks and radar chaff. He continues to say at the end of his quote, They don't leave that stuff. He even went as far as reporting a, quote, sophisticated spacecraft near where the Dulce base is said to be. These claims made by Valdez gathered interest from all over the globe. Physicist and businessman Paul Benowitz allegedly intercepted electronic signals in Dulce that he claimed were emanating from deep down below the surface and directed at a target that was too high for any human activity. In 1982, Benowitz made the claim that the base existed and then went on to publish a paper titled Project Beta in 1988, describing in detail the best way to infiltrate the facility. In May of 1990, John Lear, former pilot, government employee, and son of the man who invented the Lear jet, claimed that he had, quote, four independent confirmations that a seven-story underground base in Dulce, New Mexico, did exist. Lear's claims about the base involve several descriptions of different species of aliens who visit Earth. Hmm, very interesting stuff. I've heard about this, like the reptilian hybrids or greys doing experiments on people. Deep, deep underground. And mind you, Dulce base is probably like only 120 miles southwest of Cheyenne Mountain. A lot of these dumps are actually within kind of the same area. Obviously, you want to get into some mountain ranges, so that kind of, you know, limits where you are. But yeah, a lot of them are are Midwest, Southwest area in mountain ranges. 
the Rockies would make sense. Yeah. Rockies. Yeah. Researchers of the Dulce base have come to the consensus that the base does in fact have seven stories and reaches just over two miles beneath the desert surface with an increased amount of military presence. The deeper you go. It's the one thing I've heard as you get deeper, it gets deeper. Each floor is said to be designated for a specific type of research. Everything from mind control experiments on humans to genetic experiments that result in alien-human hybrids. Maybe this man-monkey-frog that this guy speaks of. Some diagrams of the base suggest that the greys and reptilians have their own housing floor, as do human employees. Dulce Base is the wackiest one because you have the Galactic Federation and the military-industrial complex go hand-in-hand. That meeting, was it Eisenhower that had the meet, it was allegedly had the meeting with ETs in the desert? This in the middle of the be, night? Yeah, this could yeah, be the product good. of that uh, handshake. Hushlings, we will return after these brief messages. Greetings, Hushlings. There is a conspiracy theory that has surfaced based on an alternative view of architectural history. Some argue that demolished structures like the Singer Building the White House, the original New York Penn Station, or the temporary grounds of the Chicago World's Fair in 1893, among many others, were actually the structures of a vast empire based in Tartary, which has been erased from history. Supposedly, an advanced civilization based in what is now Russia had reportedly achieved world peace and could have fallen and been hidden. There is the idea that a mud flood wiped out much of the world via depopulation, and thus, old buildings are common in cities everywhere. Many buildings across the world have architectural elements like doors, windows, and archways submerged many feet below ground level. Both World War I and World War II are cited as a way in which Tartaria was destroyed and hidden. Join us for an alternative history lesson for our 73rd debriefing. Streaming everywhere, Monday, May 8th. Tartaria and the Mud Flood Theory. Hushlings, we'd like to let you know that Rockfin is officially the home of the new Hush Hush Society video content. It is the exclusive home to all of our debriefings, declassified discussions, and all of our video content. It's very easy to go over there, rockfin.com forward slash hush hush society, and you can subscribe to our channel. And be sure to check out our website, the one-stop shop for everything hush related. There you can find all of our blogs, our audio debriefings, links to our merch, as well as all of our social media links. Lastly, if you love our show and want to support us in becoming a better podcast, look us up on Patreon. We've got a ton of exclusive content over there for only $5 a month. That's www.patreon.com forward slash hush hush society. And as always, Hushlings, we would welcome you to leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere that you're able to leave us a rating, including our website. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Many of the claims regarding the ominous deep underground bases come from none other than former government employee, explosive expert, and whistleblower of all things deep and underground, Phil Schneider who is said to actually be involved in the construction of the Dulce base. 
He made several public presentations about underground bases and made claims suggesting that the government was working alongside aliens. His most famous statement came in a presentation in 1995 where he said that during the initial construction stages of the base, the military encountered alien beings already beneath the ground. Mole people. Mole people. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine that, though? Like, just being a regular old construction worker working for the government. This is a sweet gig, you know, getting your, your paid 40. You get a little uh, little pay bump because it's a government job. You're just digging away. And all of a sudden, just alien eyes are looking at you from inside the dirt. <laughs> That's an I don't get paid enough for this shit moment. Oh, my God. Have you seen those videos of those crawlers where the guy opens up, like, the manhole and you see somebody's, like, face with no nose and stuff? Like, little no. Voldemort? <laughs> like that, but with the girl from the ring. Like, that type of... And they're, yeah. like, in the sewers? Yeah. People have opened up small, like, water hatches and you see somebody, like, peeping at them like that. Those gotta be crackheads. <laughs> We definitely should do either either a full episode or a Patreon about the lizard people under the streets of L.A. Absolutely. I think we should do a Patreon. I think that should be a Patreon. Yeah, it's probably not enough for a full episode, but definitely for a Patreon. Not only did Phil claim to see numerous alien life forms with his own eyes... He claims that he actually got caught up in a firefight between soldiers and extraterrestrials inside of the base. It was in the shootout where Phil lost several of his fingers and suffered severe burns to his chest. Yeah, the Phil Schneider videos, like if you see the videos, he actually shows that he's missing these fingers and that's where he claims he lost his fingers. He got hit with a plasma rifle. <laughs> yeah, this was a blow. Blew him right off. He claims that about 60 U.S. military personnel were killed in the battle, and although none of his claims are proven to be true, he continues to hold credibility within the UFO research community and in our hearts. We miss you, Phil. Yeah, I've heard his story before where he's said that there was like a, a massive firefight. Didn't that happen? I could, be, I could be mistaken, but didn't that happen when they were building the Denver airport as well? That there was a point where they got into some fight with reptilians or or whatnot. I could I be haven't heard about that, but I I just don't understand how we could win that fight. I don't yeah. get it. They have plasma guns and fucking radiation weapons, and we're taking them out with five five six rounds. Like yeah. uh, <laughs> mm. that sounds real communist of you, Frank. Schneider also went into great detail explaining all of the different floors of the base. Beyond what we previously mentioned, he highlights the sixth floor, dubbing it the Nightmare Hall. Shit. On this floor, hallways and rooms are filled with screams of unwilling victims of human experimentation and torture. Phil Schneider also said that as huge and complex as the Dulce base is, it's really just a drop in the bucket when it comes to dumbs, as he claims it's only one of the 131 secret underground facilities scattered all over the United States, all of which being funded by a black budget between 50 and 80 billion U.S. dollars. So like off the books money that isn't presented to the American public. CIA drug money. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of cocaine money. 
You get a lot of nose clams for that. Wasn't it also Phil who claimed that there were giants inside Dulce Base that were working next to humans, like hand in hand, like our counterparts? I wouldn't be surprised. I didn't see any of that, but I wouldn't be surprised. There's so much that that he said was happening in there. Yeah, it was Um, something like uh, that we were working side by side with giants and that they were not like big, dumb giants. Like they were scientists working next to our scientists and like working on these experiments and stuff. Phil could probably think of a better story of being like, yeah, I remember in the break room sitting down with Sasquatch and over a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know, other than getting into a firefight with Grays. On January 17th of 1996, Philip Schneider was found dead in his Wilsonville, Oregon apartment. He had apparently been dead for several days. His body was found in an unusual position. His feet were under the bed. His head was in a wheelchair seat at an unusual angle, and the rest of his body was on the floor, hands by his side. Blood was found on the floor near his wheelchair, but no blood was found on his wheelchair. No wounds were on his body to account for the blood. No suicide note was ever found. Schneider's death was thought to be caused by a heart attack, but further investigations revealed impressions around his neck about the width of a catheter tube, suggesting his death was the result of murder by strangulation. Oh, he got assassinated. Yeah. He got hit with a heart attack gun and then choked out. Phil's wife, Cynthia, stated that U.S. intelligence operatives had thoroughly searched through their home shortly after his death and made off with a bunch of the family photographs. She also noticed that Phil's lecture material and notes for his incomplete book on UFOs also went missing from his apartment, yet all money and valuables were absolutely untouched. So he wasn't robbed by the local kids. No, no. Somebody was in there looking for very specific material, and that's exactly what they got. An autopsy report revealed that a rubber hose was tied around Phil's neck three times and then tied in a knot, which blocked blood flow to his head, resulting in him going unconscious and eventually dying. The official cause of death was quoted as suicide. The medical examiner took blood and urine samples at the autopsy, but refused to analyze them, saying that the Clackamas County Coroner's Office would not, quote, waste their money on a suicide. How nice. That's so pleasant. Why would you take, why would you take the samples then? What's the point of taking the blood and urine samples if you're not going to run the toxicology or anything on them? You got to keep in mind, this man was not only missing fingers, several of them, but his wife, Cynthia, stated that he had like very limited mobility with his shoulders. It was like really hard for him to do things. He had something going on. So she was saying the odds of him being able to take a small in diameter tube and accurately tie it around his neck tight enough to where it would cut off blood flow the, the odds of that were slim to none he was pretty debilitated later in his life that was the whole wheelchair thing also he was wheelchair bound by that point yeah it just it just screams suicided it's not a suicide but it screams suicided it's asphyxiation and a struggle 
And where's the blood if he doesn't have any visible wounds? And it tied three times. The strangulation would, would make me now move like, okay, he probably had a heart attack during that too. Or the panic of what was going on. Because he was an elderly gentleman at the time, right? He was not like a guy in his 40s. To, to be more grounded about it and maybe play the devil's advocate on it, why would you wait for him to release all this stuff, do all these presentations, write a book, and release all this information before he has suicided him? Wait until he's wheelchair-bound and then go after him. Why wouldn't you do that when he was making presentations, when he was making his rounds and releasing all this information? He was probably doing everything right on the fringe until he went over that level. And that was the level that they did it. So it could have been in the middle of his work. Or if you release it, then it makes it even look more like a suicide because it's like, well, the stuff's out, but they can dismiss it with their their propaganda. Or maybe there was some hard evidence that was going to go into that book that he was putting together, something mm -hmm. actually tangible and provable that he didn't have in his seminars and presentations decades prior, possibly. Yeah. I, I'm just guessing. All good guesses. It's also worth noting that Phil had a 9mm handgun that he had borrowed to protect himself. And Schneider had spoken out several times publicly claiming that he was marked for death. He's quoted as saying, even if I commit suicide, in quotations, I'll have been murdered. And Schneider gave his last lecture in Denver, Colorado, two months before his alleged murder. That just screams like every other thing we've talked about. That's my thought on that. Little known fact, Phil Schneider actually died on the same day as Carla Turner, a woman who was bringing awareness to the MK Ultra program, as well as a UFO abductee who is thought by many to have also been suicided. She did the same sort of thing, wrote books, did lectures, bring awareness to all of these black projects and human experimentation, shit like that. Sounds like the hitman had a, you know, twofer day. Busy afternoon. <laughs> Double time. <laughs> Next up on our dumb excavation journey, we have Camp Century in Greenland. At the height of the Cold War, the United States would constantly be searching for an upper hand in a possible nuclear conflict with Russia. According to declassified documents from 1996, the DoD would begin Project Iceworm. Project Iceworm was an attempt to build a military installation within striking distance of the USSR, settling on the ice cap of Greenland, well, more precisely, beneath it. Beginning construction in 1959, spanning 16 months and ultimately becoming operational in 1960. Camp Century, the first military base built nearly two stories under an ice cap, located just a few hundred miles from Thule Air Force Base. The 1.9-mile-long tunnel base contained a hospital, a shop, a theater, and a church. It housed over 200 Army Corps engineers and scientists. Can't forget that 7-Eleven. <laughs> Always got to have a shop, man. Got to yeah. get your candy. Always got to have that bodega. 
Its strategic location halfway between New York and Moscow made it an ideal location for storing nuclear weapons hidden from enemy eyes and ready to launch if necessary. Camp Century was powered by the world's first portable nuclear reactor, which is called the PM2A, to power the base and make it completely self-sufficient. After roughly a year of operation, they discovered ice caps move. <laughs> oh no. This caused a constant moving of the permafrost and snow surrounding the underground base. And to maintain the base, 120 tons of snow needed to be removed every single month. By 1962, the steel ceiling of the room housing the nuclear weapons needed to be raised by five whole ass feet. Ceiling was sinking in on them. I mean, these engineers dropped the ball. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it was the 60s. They didn't know much about snow and stuff. Ice caps. What's that all about? <laughs> Can you imagine just the nukes every month just raising <laughs> towards the ceiling and you're working there like, oh, my goodness. Move the nukes. Move the nukes. That's it, man. 120 tons a month. Imagine what poor bastards got tasked with that every week. <laughs> they had these massive snow machines, obviously. Snowblowers, pretty much, but the size of tanks. After six years, all equipment and nuclear weapons would be removed, and Camp Century would close its icy doors in 1966. Interestingly, the Danish government would be unaware of this information because the U.S. had not mentioned the possibility of storing nuclear weapons on the base in its request to build it. The U.S. Army had requested access to the land in order to study permafrost and conduct other scientific research, so they didn't even let them know what they were really doing there, storing nukes and getting ready to fire them. I'd be pissed if I was Denmark. The construction of Camp Century is also a very interesting one. So they would dig down and they didn't actually build walls. They just used the permafrost and the snow as walls. Oh. So kind of like igloos, you know, like an igloo. I've seen this one. Yeah. And they would cut big pieces of ice and they would build up like the sides of this long trench just imagine just a really long trench in the snow and then they put these corrugated steel sheets that were you know like bent circular half mooned over the top of the trench and that was the base and then they built underneath inside of it it's like a ghetto hoth base that's exactly what I was about to say. I'm looking at pictures of it right now, and I could actually see them having filmed the Hoth scenes <laughs> at this base. I wouldn't be surprised. All right, moving on, Hushlings, we are going to talk about another dumb known as Greenbrier. And as a part of Eisenhower's plan for continuity of the government, the Army Corps of Engineers was charged with scouting the location of a nuclear bunker for the members of Congress. They settled on the Greenbrier, which is actually a luxury resort in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. The selection of Greenbrier was based on two primary factors. 
Firstly, its location was chosen for its proximity to Washington, D.C., while also being sufficiently far away to be considered safe from atomic bombs. Additionally, the hotel's prior history with the U.S. government played a role in the decision-making process. Because during World War II, Greenbrier was utilized as an internment facility for Japanese, Italian, and German diplomats. Following the war, it functioned as a military hospital, where even Eisenhower himself was once a patient. While the hotel returned to its original function post-war, it still hosted occasional government conferences. The Greenbrier Resort began offering bunker tours to its guests back in 1995. The tours were opened to the general public in 2006, and tours are actually still available today, but cameras are not allowed inside the bunker under any circumstances. Oh man, we should go. But no, there's, there's no proving it. Everybody will say we're controlled opposition. Dude, button cams. Button cams, KGB button, button cams. cams. Yeah, yeah like, the, like the button cam you showed me the other day. Dude, I'm going to get one of those. But that's not the actual camera. You still got to get the camera that goes inside of your shirt. That's just the lens that goes. It's just the cover to the lens. That, that button wasn't the camera itself. Just the principle of it. We can do a Twitter space <laughs> from the inside of the green briar. I don't even understand because... If you were to go onto YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or anything right now and look up dumbs or deep underground military bases, nothing really comes up on Instagram, obviously, because they block everything and nobody wants you to know any world outside of influencers. But there are videos of tractor trailer truck drivers and delivery people that go inside of these massive bases to drop off entire trailers full of food mm. and supplies massive and depots yeah and they'll take video they're, oh, they're yeah. like oh yeah yeah i just uh you know i drove uh five miles into here there's actually a really great video if you can find it this guy he is waiting outside the entrance to a tunnel that supposedly goes into a dump and there's a tractor trailer truck that pulls up and before he goes inside he talks to the driver and he says hey where, what are you hauling and he's like oh i don't know i'm just you know i'm supposed to go here he goes where are you bringing it are you bringing it up to uh are you bringing it up to washington and he goes oh i don't know i'm just following this tunnel and he goes yeah i've heard that this tunnel goes like hundreds of miles and he's like, yeah, yeah, I've been up in this tunnel. It takes a while to get through. I've spent an entire day just driving down the tunnel to make a delivery on the other end of it. So these tunnels, like a lot of these dumps and a lot of these underground cities almost are massive. I mean, massive. The ones that, that we know about and the ones that we're covering in this episode obviously take up a certain space, a few thousand square feet or something like that. but there are many of these underground bases and underground cities that take up miles and miles and miles of land underground. Yeah, they're impressive. It's almost like there's this one massive tunnel or a couple massive tunnels and 
there's all these nodes that come off like different shipping areas and you could fit like 10 or 12 tractor trailers in each of these areas. And then you look at some of the, even just not even dumbs. You look at some of the sports stadiums, you look at parts of Las Vegas, the way that trucks deliver on the Las Vegas strip is underground in a lot of these casinos in these hotels. We've got it worked out. I know what video you're talking about. And I was like, what? And I learned about that like last year. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, The way he was making it sound was like, there's hundreds of miles of tunnels that these tractor trailer truck drivers are driving through to drop this shit off. Wild stuff. Crazy. Hushlings, let's move over to Russia at Mount Yamatau. At 5,381 feet, Mount Yamatau is the tallest mountain in Russia's southern Ural range. The United States government has stated that it strongly believes that there is a massive stockpile of nuclear weapons hidden in this mountain. Aren't the Urals like dead center, pretty close to the center of Russia? They split the the country in half. Mm-hmm. Mm. The Russians built two quote, closed cities or permanent military installations with civilian populations, all of which employed work involving everything and anything nuclear, kind of like the Manhattan Project, but Russian. Russia has been questioned about the site many times by the U.S. government, and Russia's answers have been nothing short of inconsistent. For example, over the years, they've said that it's a mining site a repository for Russian treasures, a food storage area, and a bunker for leaders in case of nuclear war. So realistically, they might not be lying because they might be a repository for Russian treasures. There might be food stored down there. And it most definitely probably is a bunker for the possibility of nuclear conflict. Could be all of them. You're exactly right. Why not? I mean, if the space is big enough... Who knows? It could have started as a mining site and then they turned it into some sort of repository and it just kind of kept evolving. It's like a multi-use recreational room. Yeah. For Russian warmongers. (laughs) The theory goes even further, claiming that not only is the mountain hiding a stockpile of nukes, but that some, if not possibly all of these nuclear weapons are connected to a gigantic supercomputer that can't be turned off or altered in any way by anyone. The computer is allegedly programmed to detonate the nukes if it detects any nuclear warhead striking anywhere in Russia. These nukes have been allegedly surrounded by an extremely poisonous isotope of cobalt, essentially making them a giant dirty bomb. Is that the death's hand? Is that what it's called? So that's a thing. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly, Russia's dead hand is a Soviet-built nuclear doomsday switch. But it says it's normally switched off, but it's supposed to be activated during times of crisis. So I guess like... So that fucker's on. Yeah, so that fucker's on right now. Yeah, yeah. That's where the AI is going to set things off when, when it decides to take over humanity. It's going to be like, ah, here's a quick and easy nuke. <laughs> In the event of a bomb like this detonating, a radioactive cloud laced with cobalt would blanket the entire Earth, killing all plant life almost immediately. All exposed animal life would die in a matter of months, which would 
more likely bring an end to the human race as we know it. They're just like, well, if this is happening, you're all fucking coming with us. Doesn't matter if you're hunter gatherer or third world or you live in Los Angeles. We're taking you fuckers with us. Unfortunately, we can't go back in time and stop the invention of the nuclear bomb as we sit technologically right now in 2023. So maybe by having things like this at Mount Yamatao that we just spoke of, having things like that might be the natural check and balance that we actually need for nuclear annihilation of humanity to not happen because then pretty much all the superpowers know if they launch a nuke, something like that's going off and everything's done. And maybe that's why we haven't gotten to that point of nuclear warfare yet. It's a wacky way of... uh handling the world and keeping it in check a uh, little wonky fun fact mount yamata was actually featured in the campaign of call of duty black ops one where russians were housing nukes laced with this made-up chemical nova six that they oh. got like from the moon or some shit yep. wild stuff wild yeah. stuff shall we move on let's go to china gentlemen <laughs> We're just covering all of our international enemies in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The underground Great Wall of China is a vast and sophisticated network of tunnels and bunkers built to transport and store China's Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, or ICBMs. The vast system of underground roads was created by the Chinese military, and it's estimated that nearly 3,000 miles of hardened tunnels exist. Wow. I guess that seems like a lot, but China's a big place. China's a bunch of tryhards anyways. You know, they always got to go bigger and better and faster and harder. They're like the world's Texas. <laughs> you did it 2,000 miles. We're going to do it 3,000 miles. The main base is located in the mountainous terrain of northern China in the Hebei province. The construction of the tunnels was exposed by the Chinese government in March of 2008 through a CCTV channel, which reported that the tunnels were built to store and transport the Chinese 2nd Artillery Corps ICBMs. Unlike ICBMs stored in static nuclear silos, which are easily located and destroyed by enemies in war, the underground Great Wall protects the ICBMs ensuring China can move them to mount a second strike, a retaliatory nuclear attack. The system presently stores up to 3,600 nuclear warheads, making it one of the world's largest missile-mounted nuclear arsenals. The construction of the tunnels began in 1995, with the foundations tunneling and dig sites. Because of China's growing nuclear capabilities, the tunnel system has come under intense scrutiny from the U.S. and other countries. We're being hypocritical yet again. The United States and Russia signed a new START treaty in 2010, which limited each country's missile arsenal to a maximum of only 1,550 warheads. Not a lot. You know, just 1,500. The Chinese underground Great Wall cast doubt on the effectiveness of such arms control treaties. 1,500 fucking warheads. Why do... Why? Each. Yes. Each. And that's only two countries. That's two countries. 
3,000 nuclear warheads between two countries. The secrecy surrounding the construction of the tunnel system has made it difficult to ascertain the full extent of the project. However, a three-year study conducted by Georgetown University and led by Professor Philip Carver has shed some light on the underground complex. The study alleges that the tunnels are highly sophisticated and include state-of-the-art ventilation and air filtration systems, blast doors, as well as living quarters for the troops that would operate and maintain the system. It's pretty wild that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years since the construction of the Great Wall of China, it's just essentially been a military complex. Like, while, yeah, it serves as a border to protect the country it's been used as this military fortification of military strategic standpoint that has pretty much just been like a war base forever if you look at some of the pictures of the underground great wall of china there's very little but they have literal icbms mounted on railroad tracks so that they can move them up and down with speed tour guide dave here bringing you back to a other base this time we moved to israel i didn't know there were any in israel hidden underground near a military air force base in tel aviv israel is a facility known as site 911 interesting Hmm. (laughs) oh this is juicy already did Saddam die in that shit pipe in Israel? Is that considered a dumb? <laughs> Is that where they found him? <laughs> he didn't die in it, but I know they found him in a shit they pipe. Found him in a I hole. would consider yeah. that a dumb. Yeah. yeah Sorry. It, Sorry to cut you off. Keep it going. might not be deep underground, but it's they delved underground. So. It's deep emotionally. Site 911 is a massive five-story structure housing Israel defense forces, containing shock-resistant doors, and protection from non-ionizing radiation. There's classrooms, an auditorium, and science labs. The construction took place in 2012 and was overseen, supervised, and partly funded by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Juicier. During the project, only one gate allowed workers to enter and exit, and it was guarded by the Israelis. According to a core notice, non-Israeli employees hired by the builder could only come from the United States, Canada, Western European countries, Poland, Moldavia, Thailand, Philippines, Venezuela, Romania, and China. Very specific. Obviously, Palestinian employment is also prohibited. wonder why. The construction was an estimated $100 million and also included six other above-ground buildings as part of the project. Was that some sort of sick joke at 9-11? You know, it's weird, and there isn't a whole lot of information as to what the actual site is used for. When it was asked by the U.S. media what the site was for, the U.S. government pretty much responded by saying, you could only find that out from the defense ministry in Israel. That's like, we're not telling you. But if they decide to tell you, it's up to them. Fucking weird, man. 
Hushlings, we thought that we would include some non-military underground facilities just to mix it up for you. There are some interesting ones out there. One that I came across is called Subtropolis. Subtropolis is a 55 million square foot, 1100 acre artificial cave in the bluffs above the Missouri River in Kansas City, Missouri. That's claimed to be part of the world's largest underground storage facility. It's carved into 275,000 year old limestone. They have a website. You can see pictures of it. It's very, very impressive. Wild stuff. There are 1,600 people that work there daily, and it hosts a multitude of businesses, including pharmaceuticals, food storage, big data storage, animal health aids, and what's known as the Automotive Alley, which builds out Ford transit vehicles. But yeah, you can pretty much uh, get space there. You can rent space there. Hmm. Is that the new new studio? Yeah. That's the new fucking compound for our call. (laughs) (laughs) Another notable mention would be the Global Seed Vault, also known as the Noah's Ark of Plant Diversity. It's located in Svalbard, Norway. The vault was established and fully funded by the Norwegian government. Those Norwegians, they're so thoughtful. (laughs) So thoughtful, they're looking out for us. The vault's goal is to provide safe, free, and long-term storage for seed duplicates from all gene banks and nations involved in the global community's collaborative effort to ensure the world's future food supply. This would jumpstart the food supply in the case of a catastrophic crop loss worldwide. The facility serves as a humanitarian purpose, and it is part of the International System for Conserving Plant Genetic Diversity, which is guided by the UN Food and Agricultural Organization. It holds a whopping 4.5 million seed specimens from all over the world, including over 70,000 varieties of barley. It's a lot of beer. 150,000 samples of rice, and 140,000 different samples of wheat. 4.5 million seed specimens of just plants. But specifically food plants. Food. Wow, that's a lot. So not not, not like ferns or anything like that. Poison um, ivy and it's, poison it's, oak. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like Venus flytraps and stuff. Yeah. No, it's it's just food, just for food stores. That's a lot of food. Do you remember uh, years ago that thing that uh, that happened in Aleppo? They had blown up the gene seed store out there. Is it there? Yeah. Well, it, each country has their own okay. seed store, their own site. In Aleppo, they had all their seed stores there. And Syria... When that happened, they had to pull their seeds that they donated to the seed vault to kind of restart their whole food crops. It's been the only time that it's actually been needed to pull seeds from the vault. That's kind of cool. That's cool that that was able to be used that way. Yeah. I would say if there's anything positive in this world, you know, if the aliens come out of nowhere and they're like, show us one positive thing, it's the seed vault. Because everybody's involved, even countries that are warring against each other. They have uh, big crates from China and Iran and Russia and just all these different places. It's pretty much every country has donated towards it. 
It's the best collective effort. <laughs> mm. All right, hushlings. Let's get into our Reddit section. There's not much on here. A lot of it is just repeating a lot of Phil Schneider stuff and going over a lot of the things that we went over. There was a user, Delphi Low Gig. He goes on to say, the elite are digging giant holes to subdue the corona and hantavirus. <laughs> no, they have been making dumbs for the purpose of who knows what. Just a weird, weird post. Wouldn't that create like a locker of germs? <laughs> We're going to save these for later. <laughs> In response, user just posting for karma said, Dumbs are a psyop. They're only for low-level elites. The real elites' vacation getaway is Inner Earth. That also has portals to other planets. The entrance is located in Antarctica. This guy knows what's going on. Am I right? <laughs> Can you imagine being a low-level elite and getting cell block D <laughs> instead of having the lavish Atlantean cities that are under the Earth? Who are the low-level elites? Not us. We're getting incinerated. The ones we know about. Yeah. Tom the Cruise. Elon Musk's and Tom Cruise. <laughs> no, Tom, <laughs> Tom Cruise is going to inner earth easily. Yeah. All right, boys. Let's get into our final thoughts about Dumb's deep underground military bases. Dave, what do you got? In response to just posting for karma, they're definitely not a psyop. <laughs> there definitely is a reality to these deep underground military bases and different installations. They've been happening for the better part of 75, 80 years. And human beings have been going underground for thousands of years. So it's not really out of the ordinary to have the world's militaries be hiding secrets and keeping longevity underground. It seems to be a human thing. Uh, one thing that's really puzzled me this entire time is we have all these GPS coordinates for all these places, and it's widely known on the internet. These are now just direct hit targets. How covert are they? Probably not very. How sound and structured are they? Is anybody's guess. We'd have to see one get hit by a comet or a nuclear bomb. And hopefully we don't have to see that happen because, you know, it'll be like Sarah Connor holding on to it chain link fence and terminator that would suck those are my final thoughts to speak on what you just mentioned dave keep in mind a lot of these at least known dumbs were built in the 50s and 60s the chances that they would still be used today were anything to happen it's kind of slim to none which is why i think a lot of them are used as kind of glorified office buildings especially Cheyenne Mountain. Raven Rock might house some Congress members or somebody, you know, if people are close to it. But I think the big dumbs, the ones that are really holding important things, those are the ones that we don't know about. We don't know where they are. And those are most likely a lot more technologically advanced than the ones that we know about and the ones that exist today. I also think that the possibility of maybe human experimentation or human hybrid or alien experimentation, giant experimentation, it's pretty wild. If those things exist and, and there is no better place for that stuff to happen because 
what better place to have it than deep underground? I think the most interesting part is the massive tunnel systems that exist under the United States Mm -hmm. and where those go and why they're there and what they're transporting and what they're dropping off in these locations and what they're getting ready for. Is it just preparedness or like you said earlier, do they know that something is coming and that's what they're getting ramped up for? (sighs) I don't know. It's like an ominous tone. Dumbs are very ominous. I would kill to know what other ones exist and what's going on inside those places, but we'll never know. Slick, Frog, Sanders. What you got, my boy? Give me that dummy dumb. Final thought. <laughs> Frog's final thought. Yeah, dumbs are wild. Dumbs are wild. I think we're well on our way to experiencing the reality that is portrayed in the Fallout series, specifically Mm -hmm. Fallout New Vegas. Fallout New Vegas takes place in the Mojave Desert, southwestern U.S., right? Allegedly where a lot of these dumbs are, and you can walk into these giant, deep underground military bases called vaults. And within a lot of these vaults, when you go into them in the game, you come across the remnants and what was left behind of crazy ass experimentation. You would go into a vault and you would find that all of the people had been turned into deadly plants or all of the people that were housed in the vault in the 50s were turned into giant super mutants or ghouls radiated and shit like that i i do think a lot of these are being used for black project research that isn't available to the public i don't think it's just specifically top secret military shit for icbms or nuclear warheads or weapon testing whatever it may be i think a lot of this has to do with scientific research that needs to be hidden from the population very very well if not entirely then at some scale i'm not saying that's the only purpose for these in my opinion but i think that definitely plays a role yeah just just to respond to the reddit really quick maybe they are a psyop and they're not because like you guys said All of the ones that we know of now, while yes, their coordinates are known and people know exactly where they are as we went on throughout the decades, now those can kind of just be like false targets to protect the new ones that are actually very important and we know nothing about, not even the name, not even the location, or whether there's one underneath our feet right now. Wild shit. Well said. All right, hushlings. That is going to do it for this dumb ass episode. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think? Was there anything that we missed? Any other bases that we should have discussed? Any uh, information that we should have included about your favorite dumb? Reach out to us. Let us know about your favorite dumb. You can hit us up at our email address, contact at hushhushsociety.com. And Hushlings, join us in a few weeks for our 73rd debriefing, where we go back in time a little bit and explore the mysteries of Tataria and the mud flood conspiracy around a great reset. And that'll be streaming everywhere Monday, May 8th.
I turned 21 that day. So just so you know, birthday wishes, 21 candles. Yeah, and fucking Tatarian years. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we have another exclusive debriefing coming to our patrons. We will be covering the Russian sleep experiments. That'll be out on Thursday, May 18th. Hushlings, thanks for joining us for, as Mike said, this dumbass episode of Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. We'll see you on the flip side. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mr. Mike. And I'm Sir Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.